Okay, good afternoon and welcome to the latest edition of Lunchtime Learnings. I'm delighted to be joined by Ian Macbeth. Thank you so much for joining me from Avocado Property down in Berkshire. Um, I'm really grateful for your time um, this afternoon, so thank you, especially over lunch. So I know my stomach's rumbling after just finishing a training session. So incredibly grateful. Um, so how did you get into agency and become an estate agent? Probably, probably. Well, thanks for having me on as well. Um, probably the same way that most people get into a state agency, really, which is you just kind of fall into it by accident. Um, I was a I was a fitness instructor actually when I was um, when I came out of sixth form. I was a fitness instructor for for about two years, about eighteen months, and um, I used to train. Funnily enough, at lunchtime, the HR manager for um, for an independent estate agent in the same town, and uh, she got chatting to me and felt that I could kind of talk to anyone and I was quite comfortable and confident at having a conversation with people and she said you should come and um, come and have a chat with me because we're recruiting and uh, I kind of didn't take her up on it for a while and then I realized that the fitness industry was not not the way to go financially so um, I saw some uh, shiny suits and nice cars and thought I'd give it a go and um, yeah ended up going for an interview and and that was it I fell into it and yeah, I loved it from the beginning, to be honest. I got quite addicted to it, as, as people do. I think they either get really caught and addicted into it or they kind of go through 12 months and then they peter out. And I was in from the beginning, really. Yeah, how young were you when you um, got into the industry? 19. Yeah, I was 19. So, you know, living at home, baby-faced assassin, baggy suit, um, dropping, leaf dropping leaflets for about three months solid, went for a couple of uh, pairs of shoes doing that. Um, in the local area and yeah just just enjoyed being in the buzz of an office seeing what was going on around me and people to aspire to and um, yeah I just I just it clicked I just really enjoyed it very quickly because I think I like talking to people and I like talking to different demographics and it gave me that and um, in the fitness industry you're watching the clock quite a lot and I hated that I didn't want that and in a state agency you were never clock watching if anything you didn't have enough time so yeah, that's where I kind of fell into it. Started at 19, um, worked in a small kind of village office. And then within about six months, they moved me to the big office, which was um, the big kind of flagship office, the most established one, did the most figures. Um, and I was there, I was there about a year and a half. And then um, at 21, I was promoted to the co-branch manager. So yeah, quite quickly, it was about two and a bit years that it took me to go from kind of trainee to manager, co-branch manager it was. I think because I was young and I was doing well and, you know, you've got all the awards and I was winning everything and all of that sort of jazz, which is all the fun part when you're in your 20s and enjoying it. Um, they didn't quite feel that maybe with being 21 and inexperienced that I could run the office on my own. So they, they did it with another more experienced older chap. Um, and we did that together for about four or five months and then kind of natural evolution took his course and he moved to a smaller office and and i took over as the main manager um so that was quite a scary time actually but for me at 21 sort of taking over a big office 15 members of staff you know million pound plus targets thousand lettings admin after sales um so you learn quite quickly on your feet at that point of, of how to manage and be an estate agent because you don't really get that training and coaching to management you just go you're a good estate agent, you're going to be a good manager. And then bang, before you know it, you're in control of 15 people's lives. So um, that was the start of my career, really. 
so what did you and let's just say hello to a few people so dawn um, thanks very much for joining andrea thanks very much for joining from scotland kimberly thanks very much for joining so please like it share it give uh, ian loads of love being a 21 year old managing 15 people god crazy luke yeah. from knightsbridge thanks very much for joining us in leicester appreciate it um so managing going from <laughs> I suppose managing loads of people or still managing yourself to managing 15 people bit of a jump so yeah. um how did they react to being managed by a 21 year old and how did you demonstrate to them obviously you were very skillful being a top performer award winner so i'm sure they would have got the respect from you from that but um i'm sure some of them tried it on with you um, saying I've got a 21 year old you know what lessons did you learn from that and pick up yeah I think um, I've always been quite comfortable and confident as an individual um, and so background background slightly to, to answer that question is my mum worked on the airlines um, and as she worked long haul I had a younger brother so growing up I was always kind of I guess the, after my dad had left when I was four, I was kind of the man of the house and I, I, I was quite protective of my brother and my mum worked for British Airways, so she wasn't around that much. She was, um, we had an au pair looking after us. So I guess I grew up quite quickly. Um, and as a result, I didn't feel uncomfortable in the management role, but I did have a lot of people try it on with more experience or you know people with mortgages, with kids. Um, and what I quickly learned was just be honest with people from from the outset and don't fake promise people because that was what I learned was my biggest frustrations that I had from previous managers make sure you're not doing that not not following that footstep of of just sort of almost putting a plaster over an issue in management try and fix it head on um, so I think where where those issues popped up if I put if I put the issue straight back on them and we solve the problem for forever rather than just putting a plaster over it. I found that that gave me the respect quite quickly that I needed in that role. And yeah, it was it was a role which I think when you're talking to people that are more experienced than you or they're a little bit older, sometimes it can be a little bit intimidating, but I think they knew the skill from the background and it was okay. It, it wasn't it wasn't uncomfortable. It felt it felt the right place to be at the time. Okay. Great. Um, and so you were there, you're managing 15 people, and then what happened? Well, yeah, we we improved the office, we did good figures, we got the market share, we had all the award winners, and you know, everyone was earning good money. And I started to build, I started to build what I call my dream teams. So you sort of if you think back to like Alex Ferguson with Manchester United, he almost had that that three-year season where he refreshed everything every three years, and I sort of followed followed that pattern over the course of a two-year window where we'd build build the super superstar neg into the superstar senior neg and the valuer became the assistant manager and we, and we started to sort of create that that pattern um i can't remember how long what age i went into area management i think it was about 26 when i took two officers um 26 27 i took two officers on i took wokingham um which was a big difference because where I was working in Bracknell it's very much a first-time buyer market first-time seller market so at a young age it was a bit different it was it was volume based it was fast paced whereas Wokenham was the opposite it was old money older demographic um, very different clientele so that was 
the big challenge on my hands was taking on the second office um, because it was very different in in how everyone said Bracknell to Wokenham were poles apart. But actually, what I quickly realised is, as an area manager, your your days of kind of dealing with um, the public were much less than actually dealing with recruitment, training and staff. So for me, it was pretty much the same. I was dealing with staff. I was just dealing with more staff um, and I needed more um, empowerment and responsibility to put on key areas so that I was supported in, in almost the hierarchy of how it would work. So um, it made me a better manager. Um, it got the, my, my first real challenge was when I took on three officers and I felt too stretched at that point. Um, so that was that was my first kind of real challenge in management was where I had three offices and I couldn't be in, in all the places I wanted to be. But you learn about, again, delegation, empowerment, responsibility and how important people are around you. Um, so, yeah, that, that took place for the first couple of years. And then all of a sudden I was uh, I was asked to be a director um, and took over as a director, effectively doing the same role, just with a sexier title. Um, so that, that was quite a, a big milestone for me. I was proud of that and um, family were proud and it felt felt like you'd got to where you wanted to get to. That was the ultimate goal in, in a state agency. Um, and yeah, did that for a few more years. And then by the time I'd left that company, um, which was about two years ago, I was the MD for sales running 10 offices and yeah, kind of running all of the sales, sales offices basically. And that, that was my kind of estate agency path really. Brilliant. Um, and then we come to what you what you've been doing and opening up in lockdown in a second. But what I like to do is just pick the bones of some of the things that you said. If that's OK. Yeah. So um, market share. So there's people watching people that are watching this now thinking, oh, my good, good God, how do I increase market share? What sort of things were you doing then to um, increase your market share, become the award winning agent in that area? Yeah, I think. Um Working for an established agent, we had we had a strong database, um, and what I always felt was never underestimate the first point of contact. So we used to have to make sure that the very first point of contact, we had our best people on the phones. Um, we wanted to make sure that when staff were on the phones, they had the ability to communicate efficiently. So the first point of contact was always key. The first point of someone walking through the door when that was normal um, or the first point of contact when someone would call. Always make sure that that initial conversation, because it was normally quite a vague inquiry, that that could be turned around into business. That was vital. Um, and you had to have the best valuer in town. You know, that was the goal is you had to have your converter. Um, you had to have that person that could sit in a living room and convert. And, and I was working in very departmentalised estate agency, as I call it now. So. You had to have your good negs. You had to have your support mechanism in your office. Um, you know, the water carriers of, of the office that would do everything for anyone at any point to keep keep the ship running. Um, and then you had to have a goal scorer at the top, which was your valuer um, that could go out and convert. Otherwise, it was all a waste of time. Um, and all of that came down to managing expectations of different members of staff. Um, in terms of marketing and stuff like that, you know, we were an aggressive estate agent. We were out door knocking, touting. Um, leafleting, letter dropping, all the stuff that I don't really do now, but that was what we were doing in that role. And that was the marketplace, you know, in the early sort of 2000s of how we operated. So, yeah, very aggressive on touting, um, trying to cultivate the database efficiently. We'd do a big valuation day where everyone would hit the phones and try and book 100,000 that day, for example. And 
all of those little tricks and techniques that you used to work with, you know, when, when that was the style of a state agency that sort of worked to generate business, really. Okay, lovely. So then coming back about being stretched and delegation and empowering, a lot of people um, find delegating very hard. Um, they don't want to let go. They think they can do it better than the person they're giving it to. So, um, again, what tips can you share on that to help people watching this, please, or listening? Yeah, that was something that took me a while, actually. Um, I think because I quickly went from agency to management. The frustration of knowing that anyone doing any job, you felt that you would be able to do it better and then you would get frustrated by that. Um, and that's where a lot of managers are flawed, I think, is they can't get their headspace into the idea of it's not about the fact that that person can't do it as well as you. It's about how you get them better than you. And um, the whole, ironically, the whole time I went through management, what I always tried to do was if I could make my role redundant in the office, then I was the best manager I could be. If I went away for two weeks on holiday and I came back and the office was better, then I was winning as a manager. That was that was my primary goal. I never wanted to be the most important person in the middle of the desk that everything ran around me. You get different types of managers and some of them are, if I'm there, it works. And if you come away from it, the whole place crumbles. And my my goal was to be the opposite of that, was to make my role redundant, ironically, was, was what I wanted to do. So the art of delegation is, is so important, but Going back to the fitness game, what I always learned was in, in fitness training is when you're um, getting someone to learn how to use a new piece of machinery, you would explain it was a process. You would explain to them how it would work um, and what it does and the benefit of it. And then you would show them how it works and you would physically get on it and show them the equipment. Um, then you would get them to go on it and talk them through what they needed to do. And then you would step back and watch them and then you would critique and then you would feel comfortable that they could do it on their own. And because that was drilled into me in the fitness industry, I just took that into a state agency with training. And any time I gave someone a new role or a new employee or a change of role, I just followed that same process, really. And, and that always worked quite well. Still does now. Brilliant. So you set up Avocado Property in lockdown. It's pretty brave. Yeah. So what made you decide to go down the route of um, having your own business? Yeah, I, I think for the last couple of years that I was in a state agency employed, there was something always sort of sat with inside me that felt a little bit like something was missing. And, um, you yeah, know, I never really knew what it was. I used to drive away from directors meetings and feel uh, something's not quite, you know, right with, with what I'm doing. So I took on physical challenges and ran marathons and things like that to try and feel challenged within within my life. And um while I was doing the marathon running, um, I'd listened to a lot of podcasts. And I guess it was really the first time that I started to work on myself that wasn't business related. It wasn't industry related training. It was it was personal progression. And um, you listen to, you know, Tony Robbins and Gary V's and David Goggins and all of the different names and, you know, uh, Eric Thomas and, and people like that that kind of just get you questioning what you're doing. Um, and then you listen to the podcast of them talking to other people that had equal successes and things like that. And I found that was the trigger moment where I knew I needed to do something. I needed to do something different in my life. It wasn't I wasn't fulfilled enough, even as an MD running 10 offices. It wasn't giving me everything I needed. And, um, yeah, kind of last year, 
I got made redundant at the start of summer um, or officially a settlement agreement, but yeah, made redundant. And it was the push really. It was it was the push that I, I knew. I, I went back on the Friday night, I said to my wife, I'm gonna be made redundant. I've just had a chat, which I know which way it's gonna go because I've been involved in having these chats before for many years and I know exactly what's coming. Um, so, and I said to her, and, you know, she was a bit upset and, and we had the weekend to kind of get through the emotional connection of it. And then by Monday morning, I just said, I'm, I'm gonna do my own thing. Um, I, I don't know how or what yet, but I'm going to do my own thing. And uh, the next couple of months went around talking to people and had a call from a couple of people I respect in the industry that next week that kind of said, look, you know, you'll, you'll be fine and build the confidence back up. And, and I knew I was going to do my own thing. I didn't quite know it was going to be a pink hoodie and an avocado logo. That, um, that came, but yeah, it was, it was in my head. It was like, right, you've got no choice now. I don't want to go and work for other people. Um, I don't want to do anything that's the same as what's out there. Um, I want to offer something different and I want to do it in the way that I feel the future of the industry should go. Um, so that's where Avocado started to get born really is it wasn't the name straight away. It was the concept, the principle and the idea. And um, once we built that, or once I built that kind of model of what I wanted to create, it was, um, it was then creating the marketing and, that's where avocado was born, really. So, Brilliant. of a redundancy. Ironically, after spending seventeen years trying to make my role redundant because I thought it was the right thing to do in management, that it actually came and, and came came real. So, yeah, but it was the best thing that could have happened to me in my life. And you know what? That's a really inspirational story because it's incredibly challenging with what's going on at the moment. And I'm sure there's people on here that are watching, listening that have either been made redundant, um, they know people that may be made redundant. And what you've just demonstrated is, wow, um, you, you can go and do it. You know, you, you conceive your pink hoodie plan and your avocado um, as well. And, you know, we're discussing a sec, um, you know, how well you're doing. And, and Luke just asked a question, actually. Why the decision to throw the suit and stereotypical image out the window? Well, we, yeah, but at this point, by the time the avocado concept was born, um, Mike was on board, my business partner, and we'd sat down and decided we were going to do it together. Um, I was quite keen to do it with someone that had a different skill set to me. Um, and Mike's background is property management and lettings. Um, and what we decided, if, if we're going to do it and we're going to do it differently, do it the polar opposite of what there is now. And the polar opposite of a three-piece suit with a with a pocket square and a, a tie pin was this, <laughs> basically. Um, and the idea at the beginning was do all the social media videos in the hoodie, make a sing and dance about, you know, dropping the suit and being so different. Um, and the pink hoodie has become a bit of a, it's a bit of a gimmick in, in the area. It's kind of known. And if I go on evaluation and I knock on the door and I'm not wearing it, I, I honestly get people that are disappointed I've not turned up in the pink hoodie. There's <laughs> the pink hoodie. Um, within, and the, way, the, the reason why we knew it worked is you said we, we soft launched um, on the 19th of March. We soft launched three days before lockdown. And, um, Perfect timing. Yeah, ideal. Uh, so we had a bit of a change of marketing plan. We decided not to list, but we did do a lot of content marketing. We did do a lot of social media marketing. I was in Sainsbury's about four weeks in and um, someone turned around and said, 
so the, the lady was asking me what the business was and why I was wearing it and I explained it. Someone turned around on the other checkout and, and said, oh, I've seen your videos. Um, I love what you guys are doing. Someone behind me then shouted, I've seen your videos too. And I was having a three-way conversation in Sainsbury's four weeks in. We've not listed a single house, not done a valuation. And people were saying, love what you're doing, love what you're about, keep going. And um, we were like, right, this is it. We, we, this is the, the route to go with it. Just embrace it. And um, yeah, we didn't look back from there, basically. We just embraced it, went bold with the brands, no suits, no leaflets, um, and just focused on that line of being different, basically. And uh, yeah, I don't often wear it in town now because you do, you get spotted and <laughs> people want to have a chat about the property market when you're trying to have a coffee with your little ones and stuff. So um, yeah, it's worked fantastic well. You know, it's been brilliant. And what a great way to um, build your brand really, really quickly and to get known out there. So I know uh, we've got Mark watching this, who's um, just about to set up as well. Um, absolutely love it. Um, so some great lessons here you're sharing. Luke, again, best presents come badly wrapped. Um, inspirational. Are you sponsored by Kerfuffle? Um, James Clark down in um, Southwest says absolutely love it. Which is, which is great. So um, one of the things... Going back, Stephen, on what you mentioned about the redundancy thing, um, yeah. because I know there's a lot of people that maybe will be, or, you know, economically at the moment, there is, whether it's a state agency or other industries, the one thing, and the pink hoodie goes back to my personality, is I'm, I like to dress casually, um, and I, I'm a sportsy type guy. Um, and I'm quite bold and I'm not, I've got no problem with looking differently in attire when I'm in a group of other people. But with the redundancy thing, what, what I think is vital for anyone, whether they're looking to go into another job or whether they're looking to start their own business, um, like Mark is at the moment, what is super, super vital, I think, in that scenario is that you remember you everyone's got their own experiences. They've got their own personality. And what got me through that redundancy model was focus on you. And don't try and fake it in the next role or in the business opportunity or if you're changing career. Focus on what you enjoy, what you're about, your personality, and then just put that out there. That's I think it's so important. You just put that out there. Um, and, and a lot of people, they get made redundant. They think I'm not good enough and I've got to be different. Um, it's a bit like breakup in a relationship. You know, it's, it's the same sort of scenario. But what you have to do is the opposite of, of that kind of safety net mechanism in your mindset and go, this is what I am. This is what I enjoy. And put that out there. Um, and, and that's on the redundancy thing. What I would advise anyone is just be you and remember you've had your own experiences and that makes you unique. And then focus on that as your USP is you're different to the next person. Um, just remember that really and again um, agents together so if people on here are, are suffering with redundancy there's loads on the agents together um, website that can help you um, there's been some recruitment guys that have been um, giving up their time to share what you need to do how to write your CVs so have a look on the agents together.co.uk um, website because that's there to help you so something that you said that I've picked up on, which is really interesting, and I love about being different, because I can imagine where you are, it's very, very competitive. You're competing against loads of agents. But you mentioned one thing, and I know there was a whole debate, and I was following you on a Facebook page. In fact, there's two things I followed you on a Facebook page. You asked about one on LinkedIn, which was talking about Black Friday, 
um, should there be a discount. Um, but the other thing was um, leaflets um, and touting. And you've, got, and you've gone from one extreme, so really aggressive agent who was touting leafleting all the time, so you don't do it, full stop. Yeah. Very simple question, why? I've and seen what's I've seen what's working better for you. Yeah, on the, on, on the leaflet front, I've seen millions of pounds go into leaflets. I've sat in the marketing P and L sheets. I've I've seen what what goes into it and what comes out of it. And whether it's the the message, the content, uh, the pictures, the colours, whatever, I personally feel that. Yes, you will get results out of it, but the results are not strong enough and profitability wise for a new start business and the future of how the world is going. I don't think leaflets in a state agency are value for money. Um, and I don't just mean value for money as in ROI. I mean value for money in terms of what value you're offering your client. If I'm going to spend thousands of pounds on a leaflet drop versus thousands of pounds that I could put into a really well put together video that could be put out on social media via YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, LinkedIn, etc. If I'm going to put the money into uh, a whole series of different valuable tips for uh, someone looking to move or a landlord, for me, the long-term value for the client is in the video marketing, the content marketing, and not the leaflet. And it, you, you can't. You can't, as a new start business or as an estate agency, just spend money on everything always because you know that's that's not going to result in in a well efficient run business. And what I felt was we didn't want to be vanilla. We didn't want to be the estate agent that wanted a hundred percent of the market. So we focused on sixty percent in the middle. The demographic for us was Netflix users, Amazon Prime subscribers. Um, you know, they they learn on YouTube. Um, they're probably young families. Maybe they just bought a new build. Maybe they're second time sellers, third time sellers. That was the demographic of what we were going after, school trigger points. Um, so we were talking to them and they're on social media. Um, and if they're not on social media, their friends are on social media. And they're, you know, we get calls that come through to the office line and they say, I don't know who you are. I've never heard of you. I just got one of my friends that told me I must speak to you what's going on and that happens all the time to us where someone's just recommended us but they don't know why they're calling us but they call us and then it goes from there and that never happened before in a state agency for me but it but it does um so for me the leaflet thing is if you want to do leaflets it's fine but we don't and i don't think the roi for the client in value is beneficial and i think there's better ways to market your brand your business and better ways to add value to the public um, they can work in terms of if I send out a thousand leaflets and I get a valuation and a take on, brilliant, well done. But I'm not looking at it from the financials. I'm looking at it from what can I give value to the public and I can do that better through video content marketing than I can through leaflets. And it goes back to being different and standing out. I don't want to sit on the fence. So I've gone from A to B um, and, um, and I'll back that decision. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that's the leaflet thing. That I think it gets you out incredibly quickly to an audience um, a lot, lot. And I actually think video and Facebook is makes it a level playing field. And I think the agents that aren't using it are going to be left behind, full, full stop. I mean, you're, you're getting your message out there to a wider possible audience, 
very very quickly yeah. me i absolutely love your videos so i love your new starter videos so check them out i mean if you're not following ian on um, linkedin follow him just look at the videos when all his um, business network partners join um, they're all dancing around in their pink hoodie having lots of fun and you put uh, you put out an exceptional video at halloween which um, i'm still having sleepless nights over seeing <laughs> everyone out so in a good way or well it, it, we had a lot of uh, great feedback from the public and the facebook groups and and all of the normal kind of you know that the following where we are it, it, people love it but the estate agents kicked up a bit of a fuss i think there's a few complaints went into right move and uh, we had to take it down um and then, yeah, there was a few interesting uh, right move leads and Zoopla leads that had come through that were definitely from estate agents. So I think we ruffled a few feathers with that one, which was exactly what it was about. So it was kind of like <laughs> it was a win. Um, but yeah, the, the video, the video for me was was really vital that we we went very video centric as a business, and um, it's just the quickest, easiest way to get to get your message out there because you feel it when someone's telling you and. That was what it was about for us in marketing is it's about getting people to feel what we're doing rather than just picking up a leaflet. And yes, it might work for some people, but for us, it was it was a waste. Um, it was a waste of time, resources. And, and we felt get in front of the camera and, and just go from there. Um, so that's what's worked really for us. OK, so for people watching this that have fear of getting in front of a camera, um what tips have you got um to help them um get uncomfortable being comfortable doing it well you've got to start <laughs> back to it you just got to start um and it doesn't matter how awkward you feel how much you sweat how much you don't want to do it um the more you do it the more you practice the better you become at it and um it goes back to what i said about the redundancy thing on camera you have to be you and where people go wrong is they, they're trying to be someone else. Um, they're trying to be the person that's all flamboyant and hands everywhere. And that might not be them. So on, on camera, you have to be you. Um, and once you realize, right, this is my method. This is the way that I'm going to talk to the camera. This is the way I'm going to be. Then you just keep reinforcing that. You stay clear and confident and just be you on camera. Um, but you have to start. And I did... I did about 15 films of my own house before getting anywhere near launching the business. And if I look back at those now, I think <laughs> a bit awkward, um, but you just go through that. You just have to start and seeing the partners you mentioned with their videos, um, you know, the first one they always do, some, some of them are natural and some of them it's a bit awkward. Um, but by the time they've done two, three, four, they're rocking and rolling. You know, there's no problem at all. They're confident. All, all the partners at Avocado Property Now, they are doing an instruction. They're going live straight after. They just walk out the door after a signed contract when the photos and videos aren't done, live on Facebook, boost the post, bang, and it's out there. Um, and before they get back to the office, they've got viewings in their DMs from just doing the live video. And, you know, it's a two-minute video, and all you're doing is talking about the house like this, basically. Um, so, yeah, it's just starting it and doing it and not being phased. And you have to get away from the fact that, yes, some people will point the finger at you and think, oh, look at what he's doing, what a prat or whatever it may be. But don't worry about those. It's just focus on the demographic in the middle that you're talking to. Um, and, and then you'll get the results. 
So apart from Halloween videos that cause quite a stir, what other videos are working really well for you? Do you know, I, it's funny, I had this conversation with Mike yesterday. I made a really, really good polished, because I do all my own video editing, um, made a really slick polished video about virtual estate agency and traditional estate agency and giving people the option of either. Um, and it looked, I was really happy with it. It's two and a half minutes of absolutely perfect. Put some money behind it in Facebook. Um, and then I did another video and it, they went the same day. I was sat in a probate house in an armchair waiting for my viewer. And I was just telling a story about what had happened on an after sales progression case where I had to dip in and, and deal with um, a home buyer survey and what I did around it. Both similar timings. The watch rate on that one and the engagement and the viewing business that's come from the story compared to the really polished, well edited one was about it was about 10 percent to 90 percent. And um, so to answer your question stories and don't faff around with it too much just get it out there um just be honest get it out there tell your stories and um yeah don't worry too much about all the editing and stuff like that because people people value the message um rather than the uh, the quality of the video editing i would say 100 percent. so um you've obviously worked with a lot of people trained a lot of people um what would you say are the qualities of your top performers that you've worked with or surrounded yourself with? I think when I was in employed estate agency, um, it was always the people that had the work ethic and they had the care and attention balance. So they could, they could never do enough for the client, but they worked hard. Um, and that for me was the kind of the demographic that I was looking for in a state agency was hard working, cared about people. Um, and they were the people that for me always made the, the best difference. There was, when we were talking about the value and the goal scorer, there was sometimes a case that you get a bad apple in a state agency where they're, they're good, they know they're good, and therefore they won't do anything for the office because they're just focused on their own personal commission. And I was very anti that model, and that's a cliche estate agent. If, if you go sort of talk to the public, that's what they would view an estate agent as. I was anti that model. Um, so for me, it's always been about, are you that person that when the bin is full up, you empty it? If the printer drawer is empty, do you replace it or do you walk past? Um, they were the people that I enjoyed working with and still to this day with the partners, you know, we could have had 10 times the amount of avocado partners to what we've got now, even in six months if we wanted to. But it's about the right fit personality wise in the brand. And I think that's the way the future is going now with, with trust and everything that's gone on is you have to have a, a, a level of genuine care and attention to the client rather than just speed onto the next one, speed onto the next one. Um, and I think estate agents are often guilty of not putting that care and attention into the person. Well, you talk about um, people before property, don't you? That's one of your big um, slogans. So what do yeah. you mean by that? People before property is around, and when I talk to people on evaluation, is most of the time if people are looking to move home and buy another property, where estate agents forget is the purpose of them listing their property is to buy a house or buy a new property. The goal is for them to move into their new dream home is to buy that next property. That is the reason why you're being called out in a longer term version of just sell a house where estate agents focus. So they focus on the house. They focus on what that property is about. They try and you know blow smoke and talk about that. 
they don't the, the goal is for them to find a property so for me what i focus on is why are they making the move what do they want in the next property for the needs is it around kids school space size whatever it may be i want to focus on the move for the individual rather than on the property they're selling and what they want to do is buy a new house that's their goal estate agents focus on the fact they need to sell a house to do that where actually there's a step ahead of that and if you focus on what they're trying to achieve by selling their house you're a better asset for them in that transaction um, so for me it's about putting people before the property sale um, and the estate agents are all about houses you know they, they remember addresses before clients and I didn't want to be that type of culture with with our model. We wanted to be about people and become their estate agent for life. You know, like an American Australian model, a realtor, um, be their agent regardless of what's going on. Be their agent, um, and that's what that kind of motto is about, basically. Brilliant. So, culture. You know, you've obviously gone from potentially two very different cultures. Uh, <laughs> polar opposite so when you decided to um set up avocado with mike what did you decide your culture was and have you again for people that are thinking of opening businesses or actually in existing businesses you know do you have a one-year plan three-year plan five-year plan and, and how do you go about um organizing that yeah the culture was um one of the comments on my email my email signature is um I had a desire to make a business that was better for the people in it and the better for the people using it. Um, it's not just about trying to make the experience for the public better. It's about making the experience for the agency better as well. And what we wanted to do is there's a, there's a clear path that we described with my career where you go from trainee to neg to valuer to manager to director. Um, what we wanted to do is offer another option for the people that weren't necessarily management material or weren't necessarily director material um, and maybe they, they jumped around or maybe they just didn't quite fit in that brand of culture. Um, we wanted people that wanted to run their own business. Maybe they couldn't afford to do it on their own, but they still wanted to be part of something. They wanted to be part of a network. Um, we didn't want to employ anyone that was inexperienced. You know, you, for, for us, you have to be valuing houses, listing houses, transacting sales, negotiating offers, and you have to be at that level. You know, ideally five to 10 years upwards is the sort of demographic we're looking for with the agents. The culture we built was around how do we improve ourselves individually? So, you know, when we're talking on Zoom on a Monday morning, um, if we're screen sharing, it's about how do we become better business owners? How do we become better people? How do we become more valuable to the client? Um, we didn't want to teach state agency to people. We wanted to teach social media content marketing. We wanted to teach business running. We wanted to teach becoming a better person. That was what we wanted to do. And it was more support than teaching in reality. It was about creating a culture where everyone was on the same mission to disrupt, change the industry, make it very different. Um, but everyone was on that same flight path of where they wanted to go to with it. So that was the key with the culture. And that's why we've probably listed, or we probably joined up with partners of about 20% of the people I've actually sat in front of. Um, and I say, no, it's not a numbers game for me. It's about quality for the client. Um, and we wanted the client to experience an owner to service, an owner to client service from start to finish. That was the key goal because um, we felt they get a better level of care and attention from an owner than they would from an employee. Um, not always the case, but generally speaking, that's what we felt was the right thing to do.
Brilliant. Thank you. So I'm going to end it. Thanks very much for your time. Just one final question. Yeah. Um, books that you recommend um, that would help people. Uh, I love Legacy. Book on the All Blacks. James Kerr. Yeah. yeah really Great. brilliant book um, for anyone that's at any sort of high level or, or just generally speaking. Um, really enjoy that. Um, what else have I read recently? Um, I quite like the Fear Fear Bubble and First Man In from Ant Middleton. I enjoyed listening to more First Man In from Ant Middleton when I was running. Um, I think it's a great story that he's told there. And the Fear Bubble, although the, though the book was quite slow to get into, the actual concept for video of popping the bubble and making it more simple, I thought was, was quite a nice um, training technique for people as well. But probably Legacy is my, my best book that I've read recently, I would say. Uh, David Goggins' book is a great book as well. You, li you listen to that or read that. Yeah, I've got the, the Goggins book, but I just prefer listening to him shout in my ear when I'm struggling at mile 13 or whatever it may be. Um, but I mean, he's a great example of someone that's gone from A to B. Um, and he is obviously work ethic crazy, but he doesn't care what people think about him. He's on a path. And that's the same with me as I've got a purpose of what I want to try and achieve. I'm on the path. And the process of that path is more vital than getting to the end goal. And he's exactly the same, Goggins. It's about um, enjoying the process and the progress rather than the end goal, really. And that's that's what we're doing. That's why we want to change things is just follow that progress and enjoy the momentum of ticking boxes as we do it, really. Brilliant. So if people want to get hold of you and find you um, and get a pink hoodie, where would that be? I'm, I'm on most things, LinkedIn, uh, you know, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram as the sort of main platforms. Um, so, yeah, if anyone wants to DM me on any of those, very easy to do so. Um, grab my mobile number. We can have a chat, have a Zoom. Absolutely happy to. I've helped loads of people, even though we're quite babies in the industry of being a new business six months in. But there's a lot of people that message me on Facebook and LinkedIn asking for tips and advice, and I'm always happy to help. So, you know, the, the goal is about making it better for the public at the end of the day, our industry. So um, if I can help do that in one way or another in any area, then, uh, yeah, reach out. Brilliant. Well, look, you've been a fantastic guest. Thanks so much for sharing it. Thanks so much for your time. Incredibly um, grateful. I wish you and your partners massive, massive success. Um, carry on with those amazing videos because I think they're brilliant. I can understand why you're being stopped in Sainsbury's and people are shouting and screaming at you um, when you weren't even open. Um, but you're creating something that's absolutely fantastic. And I only see good things for you and your partner. So I wish you massive, massive success. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you, everybody, for um, watching. Thank you, everybody, for listening. On Thursday, I'm going to be joined by Kai Logan um, at Bradley's. So please join me for that at half past 12. And have a fantastic Tuesday afternoon. And thank you again, Ian, very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thanks, everyone.